This is recording number 10790 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the first message in the Thank God series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 9, 2008. This message is titled, For You. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series of teaching today um, called Thank God. How many of you have, um, have noticed that now since the Christmas retail season begins uh, the day after, or July 5th, the day after the 4th of July, that we've sort of lost the meaning of Thanksgiving. It's kind of like a day off of work and a turkey and well, that's not so bad, so we, we do it, but we, we're not really sure what the importance of it is. Um, and I just, I, I'm hesitant to let go of this national holiday and its significance that we have decided as a country that at least one day a year we're going to pause and be grateful for the all that we have been blessed with. And for those of us who know the Lord, uh, that goes even farther to acknowledge how much we, he has blessed us. Amen. So anyway, between now and Thanksgiving Day, I, I felt impressed to just talk to you a little bit out of God's word, but from my own heart, about three things that I'm thankful for this holiday season. Today, for, I'm going to be talking about how I'm thankful for you. Thank God for you. Next week, thank God for mercy and then the week before Thanksgiving, thank God for tomorrow. And uh, as we come to the book of Philippians chapter 1, we are looking at a letter from Paul, who was an apostle. And he was also the founder. The, re- the reason this book is called Philippians is because it's a letter to a church in the city of Philippi. And Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. He's in prison. When he writes these words. Um, but the reason that he's writing to this church in Philippi. Is because he was the founding pastor of the church in Philippi. And the establishing of the Christian church in Philippi cost him dearly. When he came to, to that city. He was thrown in prison. And beaten. But in the night. When he, he and his traveling companions were singing hymns of worship in prison, incarcerated, having been beaten, but, but not allowing the antagonism that was being served to them destroy or cripple their faith in any way. When they, as they worshipped God in that difficult circumstance, the Lord met them and f- uh, caused their chains to fall off. The prison keeper um, heard all the racket and he, real, he, he is convinced that all of the prisoners now have fled. Well, why wouldn't you? If your chains fall off, why wouldn't you try to escape from prison? And he is certain then that he, his life is going to be required by his superiors in payment for allowing the prisoners to escape. And he's going to get, he's going to get ready to kill himself. That's, that's when Paul speaks up and says, don't do it. We're still here. 
And that man, that jailkeeper, that prison warden, who was about to take his life, became the first believer in the city of Philippi. His household, his family came to Christ. And from there, a church was born. So the establishing of that church in Philippi cost Paul a lot personally. And yet the fruit of it outweighs the cost always. For those of us who are involved in any sort of ministry, there's, it's costly. In fact, the Bible says that we, those of us who have determined to be ones who pass on the ministry that we have received, we um, make up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now that at first sounds really odd because we know intuitively that Jesus paid it all. In fact, he's, from the cross, he said, it is finished. And Christ did all the suffering that could ever be suffered for this purchase of our salvation. And he's the only one who could do it. He's the only one who could pay that price and he paid it in full. It was finished. But what cost him to purchase and only he could do it now, in the dispensing of it, the, the distrib- distribution of that grace and of that salvation, those of us who are, who are uh, the delivery persons, those who, who care of us who carry this gospel and get to ha- pass it on, there's a price we pay as well. And that's what the Bible is talking about when it uses that term that we make up what was unfinished or lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And it also talks about this a remarkable thing that we experience called the fellowship of his sufferings. We get to know him in a way that is deeper than you could ever know by just simply studying or, you know, uh, uh, hanging out in church for your whole life. When, when you are in the throes of what it means to be um, partnering with Christ in ministry, there's nothing like it. Some of you have experienced that when you are working with a team on a project that is way over your heads and the deadline is looming and you have no idea how in the world you're ever going to make it and crunch time comes and you put everything you have into it and leave it all on the field at the end of the day when that's accomplished. Isn't there something of a camaraderie, a, a knitting of your hearts together that you didn't expect to come out of that crucible of, of challenge? And so... Paul paid a price for the establishment of this church. And the reason I'm spending so much time on that is because I want you to know that when he says these words that we're going to read, it comes out of that kind of a heart. He loves these people. Cares for them deeply. Let's read beginning at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every thought I have for you, he says. Every thought I have for you is with joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. This is the outline of the next few verses that will take us through verse 11. He's going to tell us about three things that he's thankful to God for regarding the people of the church in Philippi. And then he's going to tell us three things that he prays for these people about. And I'm, you, you know me well enough to know that I'm not in any way insinuating that I, I, I even am in the same uh, neighborhood as the Apostle Paul. 
But I've come to this passage of Scripture because so much of what he has to say here about three things that he's thankful for for this church and three things that he's praying for for this church resonate in my own heart as your pastor. And um, I, you know, when I, it's been two and a half years now that Sue and I have had the privilege of being the pastors of Crossroads. And when we first came, some, uh, a lot of people asked us, well, what should we call you? The handful of you that were here in this church at that time will remember that I said, just call me Randy. And people, well, well, should we call you pastor? Should we call you most holy right reverend? Or should we, (laughs) you know, should we... Should we call you Pastor Randy or whatever? And, and I, I've never, I understand why people um, want to, to, do, to do that. But I've always been uncomfortable with, with the whole title thing. And so uh, this is what I said. Some of you will remember that I said, well, I, I'm, I'm not real comfortable with the whole Pastor Randy title kind of thing anyway. But none of you should be calling me Pastor anything right now. I haven't earned that position in your life yet. Well, after two and a half years, I think I have. Whether you call me by that title or not, I am your pastor. And though I wasn't the founding pastor of this church, I've paid a price to be your pastor. It's because I love you. So when we hear the words of the Apostle Paul this morning, could you kind of hear just a little bit of echo of my own heart in there too? Because these are the things I'm thankful to God for you about. And these are the things that I am praying for you about. Verse 5. These are the things that he's thankful for. First, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul was saying, I'm thankful for your fellowship. And the word fellowship here in the, in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word, koinonia or kinonia, depending on what pronunciation scheme you subscribe to. And it's used in uh, ancient writings from that period uh, in, in two main ways. One, in business, in contracts. The kind of relationships that people enter into that are contractual, that are binding by law. But it's also used in a completely different uh, set of circumstances regarding relationship. It's used in wedding ceremonies about relationships that are being uh, entered into that have nothing to do with law, nothing to do with contract, but everything to do with the heart. And so the breadth of this word and, and it's the scope of its meaning uh, is important for us to understand this, mor- this morning because when Paul is saying these words, he says, I'm thankful to God for the relationship that we have that is as... Um, as binding as a legal contract. I'm not going anywhere in this relationship, and I know you aren't either. We've pledged ourselves to you together. Or we've pledged ourselves together. But he's saying, I'm thankful also 
for the depth of the heart investment that each of us has um, uh, shared with one another. I'm thankful for your fellowship. And he says that he, a couple of qualifiers about fellowship. Because a lot of times uh, in churches, we use the word fellowship uh, kind of like the Christian word for party. You know? <laughs> we're going to have a fellowship in my house. And what that means is we're going to have punch and cookies. You know, it's like... It's also sometimes just used for friendship. And thank God for the friendships that we have in this room this morning. Aren't you thankful for some of the friendships that you have in this room? But it's not just that. Paul says that I am grateful for your fellowship in the gospel. Our relationship is Christ-centered. It's not just because we all drive the same car. It's not just because we've all graduated from the same university. It's not... At any point of affinity that we have is a person. Our relationship, I thank God for the relationship we have in Christ. So he says, I'm thankful for the fellowship I, we have in the gospel. And I'm, I'm thankful for the fellowship that we have from the first day all the way until now. And there's a consistency about that. That he is grateful for. And let, let me just... By the way, I've never been more grateful for our fellowship than I have been in this last week to see the f- incredible outpouring of your love and um, support for us and prayer. Then verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about his gratefulness for their spiritual growth. I'm thankful for what God is up to in our lives. As I observe for you, Paul is saying, as I observe the work of God in your lives, I'm so grateful. You know, the one thing that keeps me doing what I do is having this incredible privilege of being able to see how the seed of the gospel touches a person's life and then they begin to transform right before your eyes. Now, most of us are so close to ourselves, you you know, that you're pretty close to yourself, right? That it's really hard to see the growth that's happening. A lot of times we kind of think, what growth? I would die for some growth. But but given the perspective that that uh, others have, that I have, it's just a, a sheer delight and joy to watch how God is transforming you. Transforming you. It's a, it's a, I can't tell you what a privilege that is. And Paul says two things about this. He says that it's progressing. He says from the, uh, he says, uh, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you. This is something that's just getting started. But he also says he will complete it. And so embedded in this, a declaration of his gratitude for the spiritual growth that he sees in the church in Philippi. He's saying, and I am so thankful that what God has begun, he will finish. And dear one, if you ever find yourself, and listen, I've been there uh, often. In fact, you know, probably this day will not end before I'm there where I've doubted whether what God has begun in me is gonna, he's going to be able to complete it. Not that You know, he's not able, but that I may resist him in some way. 
But we have this promise. What he's begun, he will complete. Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, and now he's talking about the fact that he is currently in prison. Again, this guy spends a lot of time in prison. He's in jail in Rome. He says, he says, I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. And he's saying, I'm thankful for your partnership. I'm thankful for your partnership. That this thing called ministry is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. And everybody gets to play. I spent my uh, freshman year of high school, I was on the, what do you call it, the uh, also-rans. You know, not the varsity, but the next step down, junior varsity. Yeah, I was on the junior varsity basketball team. And because I was so young, uh, you know, as a freshman, um, I never played. I spent the whole thing on the bench. And it was rather boring. But that's not like that in the kingdom of God. None of us are bench warmers. We all get to play. And Paul says, I'm so grateful for your partnership. He says two things about that. He says, I'm grateful for your partnership in encouraging me. You know, there's, and I think that sometimes people, this is, by the way, this is not uh, me whining or complaining. This is just saying that I'm human. Sue and I are both human, just like you. And uh, the, the words of encouragement that come to us so often from you mean more than we could say. How many of you figured out you can't tell someone, thank you enough, I love you enough, I appreciate you enough? You can't. Ever had somebody say, please stop, please stop. Don't ever tell me how grateful you are to me again. Can't happen. It won't happen. And now, I'm, this is also not a, 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 a plea <laughs> for cards and letters or emails or hugs or anything like that. I am, we're very, very, very uh, loved. And so I, I, don't, I don't have to say that. But I am, I'm making the point that it's not just about us. It's about all of us. And when I said us, I mean, it's not just about me and Sue. It's about all of us. I'm thankful. Paul's saying, I'm thankful for your partnership, for the encouragement that moves so freely among us because we all need it. And then he makes a specific point of talking about the support that they, that they have been to him. And in his case, he's talking specifically about financial support. I mean, you can go on and read this. I won't bother with it this morning. But uh, the, the church in Philippi had been contributing to Paul's support. And, uh, and then for, for reasons that are never really clarified, they stopped. And Paul, in this letter, he says, I'm, I'm just so grateful that you've begun again to send financial support to me. Not because I need it. He said, I, I've learned how to get along with nothing. And I, I've learned how to, how to have lots. Uh, that's not the point. But it just means a lot to me personally. And mainly for what it says about your trust in God. 
And that's what he said. I thank God for, for the support. Now let's move on and see the three things that Paul is praying for, for these people that he loves so much in Philippi. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Paul says, I'm praying for you that there will be an overflow of love. Now, it's really kind of odd when you see this because he has just been thanking God for, for many things that, describe, that would describe to us anyway a people who, are, who, who uh, uh, love each other and are selfless about giving that love away. Wouldn't you come away with that impression from the things that he's just said about how grateful he is to them? How many of you would, would agree? Raise your hand. So when he goes on to say, but I'm going to pray for you, that you'll overflow with love. What in the world is he saying? Well, there's another passage in the scripture. In 1 Peter 1.22 that kind of says this in a very succinct way. The apostle Peter is writing to Christians and he says, Since you have pur- purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love. Since you are loving each other sincerely. <laughs> love one another fervently. Isn't that interesting? Since you're loving each other sincerely, love each other fervently. What in the world is he talking about? But I think it kind of comes down to this, um, to a couple of things here that, that Paul mentions in the verse that we just read where he says, I pray that your love may abound with uh, still more and more in knowledge and discernment. The kind of love that uh, goes to the next level. And this is what I'm praying for. This church has always had from its beginning, always had a high component of love. People feel it. You walk in the door. Some of you, you can testify to this. You walk in the door, you feel it. There's there's a love and an acceptance that's palpable. And it's what makes this church what it is. But what takes that to the next level is a knowledge base. You know, it's like the beer commercial where the guy goes, I love you, man. <laughs> There's no knowledge in that. It's just, it's just some kind of a gut reaction or emotional thing. Now, what would make that, that uh, little scenario a lot different is if, you know, the, the guy who says that, knows that the person he's saying, I love you, man, too, is really an idiot and says it anyway. I love you, man. I know you're a knucklehead. I know you're doing stupid things with your life. I know that you're not paying attention to the things God wants to do in you. I know what's going on behind the scenes. But I love you. And I'm committed to you. Now, when the love in uh, a, a congregation of people moves to that level where there's an actual knowledge base, it's not just surfacy, it's not just, hello, 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 I love you. But there's a knowledge base to it, and still, you love sincerely, now love fervently. It takes it to another level. And then he also says, uh, I pray that you... Uh, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. 
Because the kind of love that Paul is praying for, and I am praying for you, for our congregation about, is a love that uh, goes beyond uh, knowledge. And it goes to a place of being sensitive to what the Lord is doing and saying. And here's what I mean by that. And I'll just, I'll just use my own example. I have a list of all your names. I, every, every other day, I pray for you by name. I will pray for you what I know. Sometimes I'll pray, Dear God, I pray for Abe. He's such an idiot. <laughs> but I love him. Right? Sometimes I'll pray what I know. I'll pray what I know. But then I'll pray what I sense. And there's a connection that I have with you. There's a love that that, 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 call, that act calls out of me for you that is hard to describe. When I go to that place where I'll say, God, I love them enough to wait on you beyond what I know. I hope that makes sense. But that's what Paul is praying for these people in Philippi. He says, you love each other. That's evident. But I'm praying that you'll love each other with knowledge and with sensitivity. And then verse 9, he says, uh, or excuse me, verse 10, continuing with the three things that he's praying for them about. He says, that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. When it says here that you may approve the things that are excellent, I need for you to bear with me because he's, he's not just saying, like I've put up here on the board, strive for excellence. I am praying for, for us as a congregation that we will strive for excellence. At the very surface dimension of what that prayer is about, I'm praying that we will never uh, uh, succumb to the notion that, well, it's it's. It's okay for us. You know, if there's nobody at the front door uh, to greet us when we arrive on Sunday morning, who cares? It's just us. I know what to do. I'll just grab a bullet on my way to my seat. And by the way, that's not a, a knock on any of our usher team. They're, they're the best. But you get what I'm saying. There's a, there's a, you can easily, the, the gravitational pull is towards just, oh, well, it's just us anyway. Why bother? And at a very high level, surface level, I'm praying that God will always keep us striving for excellence in everything that we do. But it's way more than that. And the word in the Greek means to bear or carry through. Follow along with it. It means uh, uh, strive for that which is different. For that which matters. Let me let me explain. It's like this. It's like you're a a White House staffer and you've been given a very important message to give to the President of the United States who is right at this moment in in a ballroom full of people at the far end of where you are and there's a big party going on and you need to get this message to him. So you take this message, which is very, very urgent and very, very important, and you carry it through something else that's going on. 
People are partying, having a good time, and there's all kinds of, there's other reasons why people are together, but you have a different mission. You're not there for the party. You're in the place where the party's happening, but you're not there for the party. You have a mission, and you bear it through. You carry this precious cargo through to the President of the United States so that he can take action on it. And so when it says, I'm praying for you that you will strive for excellence, he's saying, I'm praying that you will get, that you may be in the party, but you're not there for the party. You may be making your way through this world where all kinds of other things are going on, but none of that is why you're here. You are here with an incredible mission, an assignment from God, and you're just bearing this through. You're carrying this through. It's strive for that which matters. How many of you know most of what's going on around us doesn't matter? Sue and I sat down last night to, you know, have uh, this delicious meal that Jamie brought us and turn on the television. And uh, there was nothing on except all these, you know, inside Hollywood kind of programs. And oh, my gosh. We just finally turned it off. It's so ridiculous. None of that matters. I want to tell you, two weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, when I was sitting by myself in the surgery waiting room, while they cut my wife in half to stop her from dying, from bleeding to death internally, and to remove a football-sized cancerous tumor from her abdomen, Brad and Angelina didn't come to my mind one time. I didn't care who they were sleeping with, who was divorcing you, what cars they were driving, how lovely they looked, or what movies they were in. I didn't think about them at all. The only person that mattered to me was God. The only relationship that mattered to me was the one I have with him through his son Jesus. Now I might be in the same world where people are infatuated with Brad and Angelina. But I have a different mission. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. And he says two things about that. He says, um, I, I pray that you'll approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. Sincere. A sincerity. The Greek word that's translated sincere here means judged by sunlight. Now, there are people, and I, I have been, I'll, I'll admit, I've been one of those who, who have said that the English word sincere, uh, the etymology of the English word, word sincere, uh, is that it comes from a Latin phrase, sina cara, which means without wax. And there's a whole story about that that, that is very illustrative. The only problem is it's probably not true. So, as I've come to understand that in recent years, I've given up that. But the story, I'm still going to tell you. 
Because even if it is untrue, it still illustrates the Greek word here. Latin roots, who cares? The Greek word here means judged by sunlight. Now the story goes, whether it is true or not, and it is in some dispute, Sinecara, without wax, has to do with uh, potters in the ancient world, sculptors in the ancient world, who when they would fire their work or finish their work, they would find voids, cracks, and fill those cracks with wax and then refire it. And you might not ever know that this uh, pitcher or bowl or vase or whatever it is that you've purchased really has some cracks in it because it looks great on the outside unless you hold it up to the light. Judged by sunlight without wax. What it means is genuine. That you will strive for excellence, that you will bear through, that you will carry this assignment that you have with sincerity. Not just, not just surface. Not just surface. Because see, if it's just surface, you pour something hot into that pitcher, the wax is going to melt. And when you go through the heat of the challenges that await anyone who signs up for this business of serving the Lord, it's going to all collapse unless it's without wax. And then he says, and without offense, or he's talking about a striving for excellence that has purity in it, in it a, a void of offense. Now, the final thing that Paul prays for them about, we find in verse 11, where he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And he's saying, I pray for you that you will enjoy fruitfulness. You can head north in your Bible just a little ways to Galatians. So just before Philippians is the book of Ephesians, and then just before that is Galatians. And you can look at verse, uh, or chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says, I pray for you that you will enjoy fruitfulness. Well, what does he mean by that? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us exactly what he means by that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Stop me if it gets too good here. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul is saying, I am praying that the fruit of God's Holy Spirit and work in your life, which are these things, will be evident. Will be evident. And he says that um, uh, two things about that. He says that I want for you to, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. In other words, these fruit this fruit cannot be developed by our, on our own. It's not like I, we get up one morning and say, I am going to be kind today. <clears throat> and just really work at it. I mean, thank God. Please try to be as kind as you can. But ultimately, this fruit cannot be born by our effort. It's something that only God can produce. And you've got to just hang out with him and allow him to have his work in your life to produce it. But it's also for no one else's glory but his own. That's why he says, to the glory and praise of God.
So I echo the words of the Apostle Paul for what it's worth. And I, I say to you this morning, I am, I am thankful to God for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for your fellowship. I'm thankful that I have the privilege of watching your spiritual development, your growth. I am thankful for your partnership. That what God has given us to do, we get to do together. And that it requires each one of us. But I'm also praying for you. I'm praying that you will, that we will together, overflow with love that is honest and sensitive. That we will strive for excellence, for that which matters. With sincerity and purity. And that because we are hanging out with Jesus with consistency, that all the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be on display in our lives and through us, that others would taste and see that He, God, is good. <laughs> 